Uh, we're in the book of Matthew, and we just finished, well, we're going to finish up chapter 5 uh, this morning, the very last verse of chapter 5. And, um, but before we do that, our youth, we sent uh, 50 people to youth camp uh, this weekend, and I am so excited about what God's going to do for them. I was uh, uh, thinking about it this week, and I thought, I, I, I'm sure that my sermons are great for them, but camp is 10 times better. <laughs> so I'm just excited that they're there, and I'm hoping they're going to come back refreshed and renewed with a, with a great vision of what, uh, how important they are for the kingdom of God. So what I wanted to do before I got started was to uh, pray for our youth uh, while they're up at camp. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, that you have blessed this church with such a great group of youth, Lord. Uh, kids that are totally involved in the kingdom who get it, uh, even at this young age. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that as they're up at camp, you would touch each and every one of them in a, in a special way, Lord God, that they would come back knowing you, Knowing you, Lord God, and that they would have a renewed passion for your kingdom. We pray that they'd be safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. I'm excited for them. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're finishing up. And uh, this, is kinda, uh, this has been a weird week for me because as I've been in the Word trying to decide how I was going to formulate this, this sermon, if you look at your sermon notes, they're just blank lines. You should always be nervous when you see that. And I, I, that means I, I couldn't formulate three easy points or four easy points. I couldn't make them rhyme. I couldn't start them with all the same letter. I couldn't do any of that. And uh, so what typically happens there is I just preach what my passion is. And this, these two verses, Matthew 5.48 and Matthew 6.1, go to the heart of my passion for this church. And so... Um, I was telling Lisa, I've got about five minutes worth of sermon, which means it'll probably go for about an hour and a half. Uh, so get ready. Here we go. We're entering into a new time uh, of Jesus' sermon. He, he's he's kind of switching gears now. And so what I wanted to do very quickly was go over the first five chapters of Matthew to kind of see where we are uh, in this idea of the kingdom. For weeks, we've been talking about two kingdoms. The kingdom of God, which I represent by going like this up here, and the kingdom of the world, which I represent uh, go- going like this. Those are my little hand signals. If we made a little children's song, it would be like the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the Okay, it would be something like that. Okay? Feel free to use that and make millions if you want. But that's how I do it. The kingdom of heaven, uh, the reason I do that is because the scriptures say, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So here's, here's where we are uh, in the book of Matthew. We did this when we went through the book of Ephesians, where we just stopped and said, where in the world are we? Okay? And so in the book of Matthew, we started out remembering that this is a book written by a Jew for Jews about a Jew. The Messiah. Matthew is trying desperately to, to, to tell the, the, this Jewish uh, people that the Messiah has come. He's brought his kingdom. This is Jesus. And so we see the kingdom of heaven used over and over and over again in the book of Matthew. In, uh, in chapter 3, we see Jesus' entrance into the world. He was... Uh, 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 John the Baptist came first. And remember, we talked about John the Baptist being a herald. 
And what the heralds did in those days is when a king or someone of importance was coming to a city, the herald would come on the road he was going to travel. He'd fix up the road and he'd announce to the people, get ready, the king is coming. He'd walk into the city and go, yeah, see that sign you have on your restaurant? It looks pretty shabby. You better change it because the king's coming and he might want to eat there. Right. They go and say, get ready, get everything cleaned up, get everything ready. The way John the Baptist did that was by saying, repent, turn from your sins, get your heart ready. The king is coming. And that was in uh, chapter three. And then Jesus comes on the scene. The king comes. And what does he do? He gets baptized. And we went through that whole process and how Jesus said, it's it's uh, fitting for us to do this. And remember, we talked about Jesus including John the Baptist. What an honor for John the Baptist to be included in Jesus' baptism. And we talked about how we're included in what Jesus wants to get done now in his kingdom. He, He does not care how much money you make or what education you have. Every single person, I've been saying it from the very first day I got here, every single person is essential to the kingdom of God. Every single person. And so Jesus comes and he gets baptized. Then Jesus goes into the desert and he's tempted and he shows his spiritual authority over this kingdom, right? Satan throws everything he's got from this kingdom, all the weapons of this kingdom at Jesus and Jesus is triumphant over it. He shows that this kingdom can triumph spiritually over this kingdom. Then Jesus starts his ministry and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is it. I'm here. There's a new day. I'm the Messiah. Then he starts healing people. He begins to show his physical authority over this kingdom. Remember, again, I've been saying this for weeks. This kingdom and this kingdom are not bordering kingdoms that live in harmony together. They are at war with each other. And Jesus is trying to show this kingdom has ultimate authority, spiritually, physically, everything Lee, (laughs) over this kingdom. You can, it's a new little word there. Right. So by now, by this time, uh, Matthew chapter six, Jesus has mentioned the king. The kingdom of heaven is mentioned eight times. It's about the kingdom for five chapters. We've been talking. It's about the kingdom. So Jesus starts in Matthew chapter five with what? The Beatitudes. And basically what he's telling us is this kingdom is unlike anything you've ever seen before. You want to be happy? Remember, Beatitudes means happy, blessed, happy. You're going to be poor in spirit. What? That's not this kingdom. No, it's the opposite. If you want to be happy in this kingdom, you're certainly not poor in spirit. Remember, we talked about poor, meaning it's beyond poor. You have no ability to make a... That word used for poor means you have nothing. You sit like this on the... Wherever it is, on the street corner or whatever, your face is down in shame and you hold out your hand. Just like that. You can't make a living. You can't do anything. All you can do is beg. That's how we come to God. With nothing. That's very humbling. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are uh, those who are persecuted. The meek, gentle, pure in heart, peacemakers. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, this kingdom that has come is totally opposite of this kingdom. But it's your way to be happy. It's how you were created. And it doesn't make any sense. And then he makes this statement in Matthew 5, 20. 
which is just rocks their world. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Man, those scribes and Pharisees were really righteous. How, how in the world can my righteousness sur- surpass theirs? Well, he goes on. And in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verses 20 through 47, we just got done with this series. He says, well, I'll tell you how. You've got to get a new set of glasses. We called it 2020, correcting our vision. You've heard it said this, but I say this. And we've been talking about glasses. Lisa was talking to, I think it was you, Leslie, about uh, uh, my sister-in-law's here. So she's, I won't embarrass her, but <laughs> she's here. So, um, but, uh, and Lisa was talking about her eyesight. And she said, yeah, my eyesight was, when I was a kid, was 2,400. Okay, what that means is, what somebody can see at 400 feet, she has to be 20 feet away to see it, right? It's bad vision, okay? I don't know what mine is, but it's bad, right? I can't read without my glasses. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you've heard it said, do not murder, right? You've seen it from 20 feet away going, oh, yeah, I understand. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to see that from 400 feet away. I don't want you that close to sin. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, so we go right up to adultery. Remember, we've been talking about boundaries. We go right up to adultery. And we go, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus says, will you get away from there? I want your heart to be totally different. You should be looking at adultery from 400 feet away. <laughs> right? So here's the new set of glasses. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, check your heart. Get away from that stuff. Start from way back there. Okay, that's what Jesus has been talking about. All about the kingdom. So... I I wanted us to get kind of, again, caught up to see the big picture of what Matthew's been talking about with these five uh, uh, chapters before we get into this final verse in Matthew chapter 5. Now, remember, when Jesus preached this, he he didn't say, now begin chapter 6, okay? Those came much later. But for our purposes, I think these two chapters were divided perfectly. Here's the way chapter 4 ends. Am I on track here? Oh, good job. Great. Awesome. Let's go ahead and read. uh, I missed the first one, but I'm going to go ahead and read the whole section of Scripture here. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus makes two radical statements. The first is, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Think about your life this week. This is part of the problem with preaching. I always have to like ask myself the same questions I'm going to ask you on Sunday morning, but I have more time to think about it, so I realize how incredibly horrible I do at, at it. I just kind of seep in it going, oh man, Lord, I'm so sorry. But think about that statement. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, there are some religions that preach that this means at some point we're going to be like God. We're going to be perfect like God. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's if you don't understand the Greek word for perfect. This is going to shed a lot of light on on what we're talking about. Go Go to the perfect here. Brought to its end, finished, lacking nothing necessary to completeness. Full grown, adult, of full age, mature. Mature. Grow up is what it means. And it has even more of a sense than that. Because it means really become 
what you were created to be. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, be perfect just like God. You're not going to be all-knowing. I hate to break the news to you. (laughs) You're not going to be all-knowing. You're not going to be omnipresent. Okay? You're not, it's not going to be, you're not going to be God. But you were created for something. And Jesus is saying, in this kingdom, you have a shot at being everything you were created to be. You're created for relationships. A relationship with God. And that's what it means. The word perfect, we we tend to think of never making a mistake. Oh man, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about be in this kingdom what you were designed to be in this kingdom. Living with the presence of Almighty God in relationship with Him. Brought, brought, uh, Brought to its end. There we go. Thank you. So your end result is going to look different than God when you're perfect. It's going to look different than each other. We've been given different gifts. We've been given different passions. Our Heavenly Father has created us each uniquely. And we get into trouble. We've talked about this before. If you look at my life and you go, oh man, I wish I could. I mean, let's use not me as an example. But you look at somebody and you say, man, I wish I could do that like them. Well, God might have given them certain gifts. And so what we're going to be talking about this morning, and again, I don't really know how it's going to go, but I'm very passionate on this issue of, of a relationship with God. So we'll see what happens. But what God wants us to see this morning is that it is a relationship with him. Now, I say this all the time, so this is where I get like, how can I say it in a new way so that it's fresh? And, in, and I don't know how that's going to look, but... Let me show you how Paul puts it. Paul puts it this way. He's talking about his earthly body and he calls it a tent. And if you think of your body like a tent, it kind of makes sense. If I, when I, I don't go camping very much, but when I do, I'm trying to set up the tent and it's falling down and I don't like have it. I'm not really good with tents. And so that's kind of how I picture my own life. It's like a tent. It's, it's together and when the winds blow and, it, uh, and sometimes it falls apart and you're trying to fix it and all that kind of stuff. And Paul's saying, it's not going to be like that. We're going to get a dwelling in heaven, a glorified body, one that we're not going to have to worry about all that kind of stuff. And then in, in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, it says this, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Okay? Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose. It is God who has made us for this very purpose, to be perfect. To be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And you say, well, how can that happen here on earth? With the presence of God, with the presence of God in your life. Just you and God. Just me and God. Guys, I I can't, I want to jump up and down because I I feel like in some ways, I've even, I've, in some ways, I've disconnected from this as well. Even though I talk about relationship, as I've really concentrated on this week, I realized, man, I've been disconnected from my personal relationship with Jesus. I think we constantly need to be reminded it's about a relationship with him, us and him, God, the God of the universe, the creator, a personal relationship. Prayer is literally talking to God. 
Reading our Bible is to read the very letter that God sent us. Every day when we're in this word, it's something from God that his spirit wants to reveal to us. So he says, now has made us for this purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. More of the spirit, more of the kingdom. More of the spirit, more of your purpose. As we experience more of the Spirit of God in our lives, as we overcome sin, as we see what He has for us to say and do in life, as we press into a relationship with God, we will experience literally heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In chapter 6, we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer. Now, in, chap- in verse 9, he says this. So, I, I have this earthly tent. I'm dying to get to heaven. I'm dying to get to a place where I can be in fully in the presence of God. So, what does he do? What's his conclusion? Not, verse 9. So, we make it our goal to please him. We don't just sit and go, oh, man, I wish I were in heaven. I wish I w-. We want to experience it so bad, we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. It's about a relationship. God, how can I please you now? While I'm at work, while I'm at home, while I'm driving, what I eat, what I say, what I think, everything. How can I please you, God? It's a relationship as real as with Lisa and I. And sometimes we get disconnected of it, with it. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, operate in this kingdom as you were designed to operate in God's kingdom. That's what he's saying by be perfect. Operate in this kingdom how you were designed to operate in this kingdom, experiencing God's presence, experiencing his relationship fully. You go, man, that's far away from where I am. We say God has a wonderful plan for your life. I don't know, has anyone ever heard that term? We say it when we're talking to people about coming to Jesus. And so we Americanize that. We say, oh, God has a wonderful plan. And we start looking at what a wonderful plan would look like here. <laughs> and we go, oh, great, Lord. I, you know I want this job so bad. It pays double what I want. And I know you've got a wonderful plan for my life. And unfortunately, God's wonderful plan may come through suffering. It might come through pain. It says in James, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Oh, man, joy and trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then it goes on and it uses the same word for perfect, teleos. It says, and let endurance have its perfect result. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. What does that come from? Trials? Oh, That's not a fun time. God has a wonderful plan for my life. (laughs) It's supposed to be wonderful with candy canes and streets made of chocolate. (laughs) That should be it. Jesus is saying no. He wants us to be complete. So where are we going with this? Well, I I wanted us to see this picture of completeness and perfectness before perfection before we go to this next uh, verse in chapter 6. Because this is where the rubber really meets the road. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Be careful. 
do uh, not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now we're going to get to what that no reward means, but I'm going to give you pretty much the hint right off the bat so we can understand it as we move forward. It's the presence of God. Your reward is the presence of God. There's no difference between your, our reward on earth and our reward in heaven. Okay? We think of heaven as a place we go where we can eat what we want and fly around. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to fly around. Okay, personally, do not, this is, do not take this out of this building. It's my belief only. I have no scripture to back this up. I believe there's going to be competition in heaven. Now, hold on, stop. Just settle down. You guys are, golly. No, stop. <clears throat> because competition's fun. And, and, so, and there can be healthy competition. I've played in basketball games where really we were playing to win, but nobody really cared at the end. It was a great workout or whatever. And I think in our glorified bodies, it doesn't mean we're going to make every shot. and do. I think we're going to experience the way God designed us. Okay? I have no scriptural backup for that. But as I get, think about heaven, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? It's going to be the presence of God. That's the point of heaven. <laughs> it's not so we can play basketball and not get upset at each other or eat whatever we want or wake up in a big mansion and be on streets of gold. By the way, the streets of gold don't mean anything because there's nothing to buy. So it doesn't make any difference. Okay? It's the presence of God. That's our reward. That's heaven. And if, if, if I've had to think to myself, if that's not good enough, I need to really think about my relationship with Jesus and go, I must not really be experiencing God's presence here to be able to be burdened and to groan for more of it in heaven. You see what I'm saying? That's what he's talking about. So it says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now what I want to do with this verse is I want to break it down into sections, three sections. The first is be careful. Be careful. This is very, in the New American Standard, it says beware. And there are two things I want us to see about this beware. The first thing is, this can happen to anybody. Okay? I don't care how spiritual you are or how unspiritual you are. Jesus is saying, watch out that your relationship with Jesus becomes about other people. It's a relationship with God between you and God. And Jesus is warning us, all of us. And I'll tell you what, as I took this verse and I began to really go over my own motives this week and look at it, man, it's amazing how many things I do for the sake of other people. And not just relationship with God. It's kind of scary. Be careful. It can happen to anyone. The second thing is, it's a real danger. Jesus doesn't say beware because he just was kind of trying to catch his breath this point in the sermon. He's saying it's a real danger. When you have a sign up that says beware of dog, that's without prejudice. It's not, you know... Uh, Republicans, beware of dog. Democrats, beware of dog. It's anybody. The dog is the problem. Okay? And so he's saying, beware. Watch out. Look for this in your life. It doesn't matter who you are. It's without prejudice. Watch out that this doesn't happen to you. 
It's a relationship between you and God. When your passion for righteousness comes from a different motive than love for God, you will lose your reward of growing closer to God. Okay, I think I have that up there. Let's read it again. Or you don't have to read it with me. I'll read it. When your passion for righteousness comes from a different motive than love for God, you will lose the reward of growing closer to God. If it's out of guilt that we're righteous, if it's out of, well, I probably should do this. I'm going to be there with all the guys. I should probably. We've lost the presence of God. It has to be motivated by growing closer. And we can get disconnected. I'll give you an example. Lisa and I have a great relationship, right? And, and so, but have, have you ever been in a great relationship, but you're still disconnected? I might come home day after day, week after week, and we don't argue. It's not like we have this, some crisis we're going through. We're not, it's not a big deal. And then all of a sudden you're going along, and, and you, you sit down on the couch with your spouse, and you get engaged in a conversation, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and all of a sudden you're connected again. And you go, man, I am so glad we had this talk. That was awesome. It was really great to what? To connect with you again. Now, it wasn't that we were disconnected because we fought all the time or, you know, the kids were all this kind of stuff. It was that we had just become disconnected. This is what Jesus is talking about. Watch out that you become disconnected from God, that it becomes something other than a deep relationship with him, that it becomes about other people. Watch out for that. I have to be careful with Lisa that we don't, because we don't argue that much or because things don't come up, that I think things are going really well. And then when the crisis does come, we have no foundation. We have to press, we we work very hard to stay connected. What's going on that we have this time communicating? There's a reason, when I do my marriage counseling, there's a reason one of the things we talk about is communication uh, for premarital counseling. Because that's one of the, ways that marriages get destroyed is lack of communication and it's hardwired into the woman okay it's as hardwired into the woman as sex is into the man the kids aren't here so now i can just say words like sex if i want (laughs) there's little babies but they don't know they they don't know anything so so it's it's hardwired in there and the reason it's hardwired in there the reason that's such a big need is because god understands it's there. You better, this is what is designed for a relationship. And so I don't know, men, if you've ever been like talking to your wife and she says, maybe we just haven't talked. You're going, what are you talking about? We just haven't, we haven't talked. We talk every day. Every day. We, I come home and I go, how are you doing? And then, no, we haven't talked. Yes, we have. <laughs> you ask me what's for dinner. And I told you, you know, right? No connection. That's what they're talking about. God wants us to connect. Our passion for righteousness has to come from this relationship with God. And listen, guys, I want us to get this too. We are responsible for our relationship with God individually, period. Did you know that? You are responsible for your relationship with God. I'm responsible for my relationship with God. It's not the pastor it's not your spouse. Well, you know, they just don't go to church anymore. And so I'm falling away. That's 
that's baloney. <laughs> that is baloney. We have to understand this. At the end of the day, it's you and God. It's me and God. The job of a pastor, the job of leaders in the church is to shepherd the flock, to get them to the pasture. But they're going to eat and they're going to reproduce on their own. Okay? That's the job of the church. To be fed and to reproduce. Reproducing in the church is making disciples, just in case people were like freaking out over that. Okay? <laughs> I had to answer this question. I hope, prayerfully, I'm going to be ordained in May. And uh, so they have you answer, ask, answer all these questions. And one of the questions is, what is the role of a shepherd? And I wrote back and said, can I just be ordained over the Internet? And they didn't like that. No, I, so, um, so I might not make it this May because you can do that. You can get ordained over. It's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'd love to do that, like get a bunch of ordinations and be done with it. But uh, that's the thing, the role of the, shepherd, role of the pastor. What is it? It's to shepherd. It's to just lead us. But... The shepherd doesn't grab the sheep and go and eat this grass here. There you go. Swallow it. There you go. And some of us, in my own life, I've blamed other people because my relationship with God wasn't what it should be. I'm responsible for my relationship with God. That's why Jesus is saying, be careful. Watch out. There's no, I don't believe there's really that, that many more scriptures that focus more on a relationship with God than these two verses put together. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect and don't do your righteousness as it looks to men. Now, what I want us to see is it's not the public part of righteousness. If we go to the second part here, not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. It's not the public part that's the problem. Okay? Being righteous and having acts of righteousness that people can see, that's not the problem. Remember, just before this, Jesus said, be a light, (laughs) Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and may glorify your Father in heaven. So we don't just say, oh, you know what? My relationship with God is just a personal thing. I keep it real quiet. It's just between me and God. When I say it's between me and God, that doesn't mean I keep it quiet for everyone else. The public part of the righteousness isn't the issue. Jesus was very public in his righteousness, very public in his good deeds. And he's talking about righteousness all the time. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Remember that? Blessed are those who are persecuted for the uh, sake of righteousness. Unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's constantly talking about righteousness. Our righteousness should shine. We're to shine like stars in the universe. But once it becomes, I wonder what they think oh man, we just lost, we just got disconnected. Are we still going to heaven? Yes. This verse isn't about you're going to lose your reward. We're constantly making it to heaven and not making it to heaven based on our righteousness. Absolutely not. It's that disconnect. Once I go, oh man, you know, I, I, wonder, what, I wonder what they're going to think when I say this. This will look good. No, I'm, I'm going to phrase it this way. It'll sound better. Oh man, I could have grown closer to God and I blew it. I miss my opportunity. It's to be noticed by people. That's the issue. That's the issue. The Greek word is awesome. It says to be seen by them. 
It's where we get our word theater. When your righteousness, when my righteousness becomes a theatrical production, for whatever reason, it's dangerous. We lose our reward. We get disconnected from God. God says, I'm, I, can't, I can't support that. When it becomes a love for me, when it's us doing this, oh man, I'm all for it. But when it's a theatrical production, I, I, can't, I can't do that. To be seen by men. A.B. Bruce says it this way. We are to show when tempted to hide, and we are to hide when tempted to show. I think that's a great way, our righteousness. When, when we want to hide it because we're nervous and scared, and oh man, what are we really saying? What are people going to think? Then we show it. When we go, huh, I wonder what people will think. <laughs> then we hide it. It's a good, kind of a good little test in our heart. What do we want to do? We are to show when tempted to hide, and we are to hide when tempted to show. It's don't make it theater. We had a friend who used to fly the stars around. What a cool job. But he was a pilot, and um, he was Tom Cruise's pilot when, uh, when he did that movie Far and Away. Remember that with Nicole Kidman, and he had that really horrible Irish accent? Oh, boy, he sounded like Lucky Charms. It was just terrible. And so I was asking him, what's it like to fly the stars around? He was telling me all these stars, Sylvester Stallone, all this. And he, he's really unassuming, so he never dropped any names. But I was like a little, oh, who else? Who else? Name somebody else. Right? And then he told me about, I said, who was the most annoying actor or actress you've ever flown around? I won't mention their name. But... Uh, this is awesome. Stop. Okay, so uh, he was telling me about this one actor that does action movies. And he said, this guy showed up with a gun sh- behind his belt. You know, he'd wear his jacket over his shoulder. And he talked just like the movies. Just like the movies. And he'd walk in and he wouldn't, you know, he just, he had the same, I can't, well, if I try to do it, well, I, I'm, anyway. And so, so uh, he said he's just so annoying because he really thought he was that guy. That's the Greek word here. Don't, you're not that guy. <laughs> you're not that girl. See, it's really dangerous to think that we're somebody we're not. Because I guarantee you when that guy walks into a liquor store and it's being robbed, and he thinks... You know, there's not someone going, okay, stunt man. And he tries to do it himself. He's going to get jacked up. That's what happens to us. When we begin to do our righteousness for men, we begin to do this theatrical production. What ends up happening is we start to believe it ourselves. And then when it really happens, Satan jacks us up. Because I might play a doctor on television, but when it comes to doing brain surgery, not so much. And this is what happens. Because here's the thing I want us to learn from this. The, the biggest person we need to be scared about fooling is ourselves. See, a lot of times I practice my righteousness, maybe not even so much for other people. I, I do it to try and make myself feel qualified. I, 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 I put on a theater for myself until I believe that, you know what? 
I think I've got it down. And I, for, I get disconnected from God. I'm a hypocrite to myself. Remember, remember we talked about in the last few weeks, we tend to overestimate what someone's done to us and we underestimate what we do to others. It's the same thing. We're fooling ourselves. We need to be careful not to do our righteous acts to be seen by men and to, be, to feel like we are somebody. We're not. We need to constantly go before God and say, God, it's a relationship with you. What do you want me to do? Just like we would say to our spouse, what, what, how can I serve you? Men, we're to lay our lives down for our spouses. What do you want? What do you want? Women, we're to submit to our husbands. What do you want? That's the relationship. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves to themselves, they are without understanding. <laughs> We've got to press into God. We cannot make it about other people. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says this. <clears throat> it's up here. But to, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Now that can either encourage you or it can frighten the daylights out of you. Because there have been times in my life, (laughs) I can think of one in particular, where I honestly thought I had pretty much made it. That is, that's ridiculous. (laughs) And the Lord had to discipline me in that and say, you got nothing. You are lame. You don't even know me. Was I saved? Yes, I was saved. But I did not know him. Philippians, it says that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may know him. Not learn about him, read about him, that I may know him. That every part of my life is an extension of my relationship with God. It has nothing to do with other people. The only time other people matter is when I'm serving them because he says I'm to serve them. That's it. And then it goes on that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And you go, that's what I'm talking about. Kingdom power. Uh Uh-oh. And the fellowship of his sufferings. It's going to cost me something to operate in kingdom power. I want to add one more thing before we move on. It's just as dangerous to practice your unrighteousness before men that they may notice. Sometimes, as believers, we, 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 it, it, it's cool to be hip and to show everybody we're just like you. I drink what you do. I smoke what you do. I, I, I talk like you do. I get all your jokes. But hey, don't worry. I'm a, this is, wait till you see how much I love everybody and you're going to see a different thing. And God's going, I don't want you to practice your righteousness, your unrighteousness, your waking up and your eating and all that. Bef- it has nothing to do with people. It's a relationship with me. And when that's strong, it is going to affect every single person around us. That's when people matter. When it flows out of an extension of of loving God. We say loving God and loving people. There's a reason it goes in that order. We can't love people without God. So we have to be careful to practice our unrighteousness before men. 
I'll give you an example. It's not really unrighteousness, but it's an idea that hit me this week um, in my own life. So I was at Starbucks. I don't know what I was doing there. But uh, I was at Starbucks, and uh, I was talking to the people I know there. They know I'm a pastor. And so they were playing some music on the ra- on the, on the, over the thing, which was not Starbucks approved. I can guarantee you that. And so um, it happened to be music I used to listen to as a kid. And so in my mind, I was saying, well, no, out loud. <laughs> it started in my mind and then kind of just came out. I, I was kind of talking about that music and how I knew, you know, I, I kind of knew it. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is really cool. They're going to see that I'm a pastor, but yet I'm still kind of hip. They're going to see, you know, they're going to, this is really, this is going to do great things for the kingdom. This is, oh, this is awesome. They, I know all sorts of music. I know lots of things of the world, and yet I'm a man of the cloth. This is, they, they won't know what hit them. This is real kingdom stuff here. Ah. Is that not painful? I mean, I let it linger because it's so painfully grotesque and so arrogant and so full of myself. And I took this precious, precious relationship with God. And I just said, now... I'm going to make it something else, something about me. And I lost my reward. Now, what if God had me say something else to them that had nothing to do with the music? Just something else. I don't know if I were listening (laughs) to him, maybe he would have said something. If I were listening, instead of just formulating some really hip, cool way to witness to people, that I guarantee you God had no part in. He he did not. I can tell you that because of the spanking I got afterwards. God was going, man, what are you doing? It, It had to do with a performance, a theater. Look at the hip pastor guy. I can know all the things of the world, but still know the Bible too. Taking names for the kingdom. Yuck. That is gross. Here's what Matthew 6, 1 says in the message. Be especially careful when you're trying to do good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. I love that. That is awesome. I'm going to read it one more time just so I can remember it this week. Be especially careful when you are trying to do good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Galatians 1.10 says this. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Once it becomes about what do people think? What of that? What is this? I want to make myself look good or I want to make myself look bad so that I can look good or I want to make myself. Once you do that, you've ceased to operate in this kingdom. I've ceased to operate in this kingdom. I'm now using the weapons of this world. Cool and hip and 
outward appearance. And God is saying, and Jesus has been saying his entire sermon so far, the heart, it's the heart, it's the heart. It's I want your heart. I want to have a relationship with you. No one else is here. And that's why the graphic in the beginning has the shadow of the person worshiping in the desert, an audience of one. What would your relationship with God look like if you were the only person in the world? There's a movie that just came out called I Am Legend. I haven't seen it yet because my friend saw it and said it was scary. And I don't like to pay money to be scared. I don't understand why you'd want to pay money to be frightened. I can look at my bank account ah, and be scared. And that doesn't cost me anything, right? Or why would you pay money to cry? I don't understand that. Women are like, no, because sometimes you need a good cry. No, I do not ever need a good cry. If I never cry for the rest of my life, I'm good. I'm fine with that. It doesn't bother me. So in the the movie I Am Legend, there's some virus that comes, and and, and so everyone gets wiped out except for the zombies, which is the scary part. But... uh, And so there's this whole part of the movie where he's just by himself in New York City, jamming around, renting movies, renting movies, just goes in, grabs movies, you know, he's, he's got, you know, there's jewelry stores. What good is jewelry, right? You you could put jewelry all over you. It means nothing. And so I thought, man, what a great premise. You know, he's hitting golf balls off that aircraft carrier. I don't know if you saw the trailer for it. I thought, oh, that'd be fun. Then I start thinking, what, what would that really be like? Could I, would I be satisfied with just me and God? Now, fortunately, God didn't design us that way. We were designed to be in community, right? But I still wanted to just think about what would it be like for just me and God? That's it. It's fun. You should think about it sometime. Think about what your day would look like. There was nobody else around. Now, it goes on. It says, you will have no reward. It says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What does this reward look like? It looks like his presence. That's exactly what it looks like. That's our eternal reward in heaven is to be in the presence of God. Now, our physical bodies right now cannot handle the full presence of God. Okay? We just would die. But our glorified bodies can. So what does Paul say? Paul says, okay, I know my physical body. I do the things I don't want to do. I, 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 I groan and I long to be in this glorified body. But until then, I want as much of his presence as I can possibly get without dying. <laughs> I just, I, I want that reward. I, I want it to be pressed into him. And, and through the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what that really looks like in three very personal ways. Giving, praying, and fasting. Nobody can give for you. (laughs) David said, I'm not going to give to the Lord something that costs me nothing. That's not giving. Nobody can pray for you. Now, they can pray for you and they can intercede on your behalf. But you can't say, hey, could you do me a favor and pray for an hour? Because I'm really busy. You can't can't outsource your prayer life to India (laughs) where there's (laughs) banks of people on the phone praying for you. Okay, you can't have somebody fast for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? These are very personal things, and we're going to see what this is going to look like. The reward, the reward is 
The presence of God. The very presence of God. And if I say to myself, well, I don't really know what that looks like. That's just an indication of how well I've been doing lately. It's time to get reconnected. To take our relationship with God and say, I am responsible for it. When I drive to work, when I'm at work, when I come home, what I watch, how I think, my goals in life, what house I want to buy. I'm responsible for this relationship with God. If that's what we call people to, we say, come, have a relationship with God. It's awesome. It is our responsibility to press in to as much as we possibly can to experience as much of him as we possibly can. Nobody else. Because when we do, we'll have the biggest impact on everybody else. It says this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. <laughs> do you feel like outwardly you're wasting away? Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix our eyes. This week, my prayer for us as a church is that we begin to explore what a relationship with God really looks like when that's all we're focusing on. Going, Lord, what do you want me to watch on television? What do you want me to say here? What, how do you want me to drive? What, what, what? I want to get you involved in everything. And for some of us, it might be a totally different thing. One of the things I did when I first got onto this thing, after the Lord disciplined me that I didn't know him, uh, I, and I think I've talked about this before, but I used to drive to work, and I had my computer bag in the front seat. And so I'd take it off of the front seat, and this is kind of bizarre, but this is what I needed to do. I'd take it off the front seat and I'd say, Jesus, you sit here. I want to talk to you on my way to work. And I'd pretend that Jesus was right here. Now, I couldn't drive in the carpool lane, which would have been cool. Oh, no, Jesus is right here. You know, they wouldn't have gone for it. But I just pretended he was there. Whatever you need to do, make it radical this week. Radical relationship with God. I want to end with this very last verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. I've put in bold some of these words that I want us to see. To show God, not us. That's it. That's our purpose. To show God and not us. We're in these jars of clay, these fallible jars of clay. And God infuses his spirit for what is to come. And he says... It's about you and me. Now let's go do damage for the kingdom of God. We are in all. We are in all.